0: hello hello fort worth welcome to another episode of the fort worth freedom review thank you so much for joining us we are a show about local politics that aims to get more people engaged in local issues my name is anthony sosa and i'm here today to share with all of you the best talk that i heard at the socialism 2022 conference in chicago we did an episode what is that five or six weeks back Um, where Amber and I had, you know, when it went up and we participated in that conference, got to, got to, uh, view it, listen to a lot of people talk about a lot of different things. It was really cool. Um, but this talk especially was the one that I felt was the most impactful, moved me the most. Um, it was very unique. It was a very special and different vibe than a lot of the other talks. And that's mainly because Ashley Woodard Henderson was the person speaking. Uh, I was not familiar with her before this talk. And now I think she's a hero of mine. I, I certainly want to see what she's up to, hear her speak again. I would love to. Um, she's certainly like a role model figure in regards to like leftist, leftist movements, leftist politics. She, um, if you're unaware, if you didn't hear that episode, she is the, I believe the executive director of the Highlander School, which is a, uh, the Highlander Research and Education Center is actually the, the official title of it. This is an Appalachian. Uh, leftist school. I want to real quick, go ahead and read their mission real quick. Just so we have an understanding of like kind of where she's coming from, what this organization is about. Uh, of course, the link is provided in the doobly doo below in the show notes. So if you want to go check out their website, there's a ton of resources there that, that are awesome and a ton of information. The Highlander school serves as a catalyst for grassroots organizing and movement building in Appalachia and the South. Uh, they work with people fighting for justice, equality, and sustainability supporting their efforts to make a collective action, to uh, to take collective action to shape their own destiny or our own destiny. Through popular education, language justice, participatory research, cultural work, and intergenerational organizing, uh, they help create spaces at Highlander and in local communities where people can gain knowledge, hope, and courage, expanding their ideas of what is possible. They develop leadership and help create and support strong, democratic organizations that work for justice, equality, and sustainability in their own communities, and that join with others to build broad movements for social, economic, and restorative environmental change. So that's everything that I personally am about. We at this podcast support all of those ideas. Uh, and and Ms. Woodard Henderson uh, really kind of like embodies this whole idea. And so this, this talk was just, Man, I couldn't really stop thinking about it for weeks, and I'm really glad to get to bring it to you guys. The official uh, broadcast for all of the talks is now up on the Socialism Conference um, like podcast page. I have the uh, Apple podcast page provided below in the show notes. There, I'm sure they're on other platforms as well. I encourage you to go listen to any of those other talks if you're interested. There was a bunch of talks about a bunch of different topics. Um, however, they're, they are edited down quite substantially. So this talk is there as well. Um, but they only got about a 30 or 35 minute version of the talk. And it was a 90 minute talk. So on this episode, you're going to hear essentially the whole thing. Um, after the first 45 minutes, she, you know, she kind of has her whole talk, makes her points. I think that alone, I could have just put that up by itself. But uh, there's a QA and a session that came afterwards. And I, I, I kind of stopped the tape for a, a minute or two. And then I quickly realized, you know what? I want to catch this, too. So I, I bring it back on. We get most of the questions that are asked. Um, the way that they did the Q and a, they kind of let, I think it was five people ask questions and they all just kind of asked back to back. And then after they asked their questions, she responds to all of them. She kind of like wrote them down as they were asking and just goes down the list. So the second half of the podcast is about 35 minutes of her responding to these things. And that part of it is like, it's, it's very vulnerable. Like her, like the, it's very intimate, I guess it may be a better word. Um, the first part was cohesive enough as its own talk. It hits really, really hard, but the questions that the, that the audience brought to the table were really good questions. And so she kind of like, you know, opens up and kind of like, it's more of a personal type conversation, a more intimate conversation that is had with the audience in the second half of the podcast. It's a slightly different vibe. Um, but she says some bomb things. She says some amazing, amazing things that I think all of us need to hear. So I encourage you to listen to the entire thing. This is going to be about 90 minutes, a little longer, because I've already taken about five minutes of your time. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up, finish my liner, and get to Ms. Ashley Woodard Henderson. Uh, as always on every episode, every resource that we use is provided below in the show notes, so check those out. Uh, this podcast is made possible by the Justice Reform League, a Fort Worth-based nonprofit. You can sign up for our Substack at our website, justicereformleague.net, where we occasionally post op-ed type articles if you would like to submit something which please do. We're, we're, we're open to all sorts of things and we would love to uplift you on that. Um, you can uh, contact us on Twitter at FW Review. You can hit us up on Instagram at Fort Worth Freedom Review or send us an email at FWFreedomReview at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening and I hope you find this talk as empowering and as insightful as I did. Thank you. Learn from each other. Um, so with that, I'll
1: turn everything over to uh, First. Hello, everyone. Oh, well, listen. I'm used to getting the post-lunch slump, but y'all going to have to do better than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's up, y'all?
2: What's yeah. up?
1: Uh, so, as, as my comrade said, my, can y'all see me if I sit right here? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Can y'all come in?
3: Like squishy. Um,
1: it just feels weird to be up there y'all know that's not the Highlander way uh, uh, or you know my way either way um, so what's up my name is Ashley Warren Henderson my homies call me Ash Are you she her her pronouns and Annie said respectfully in a right relationship uh, I want you to talk to me because I'm a missionary Baptist preacher's daughter and I'm used to folks responding when I say something Amen. Um, and I am not an expert on much of anything I want to start there because frankly, most socialist spaces I'm in, everybody's vying and positioning to be the smartest person in the room, and that's not me. Just being straight up. So I'm I'm setting the context now so that we all are on the same page about the expectations of what you'll get in this space. Is that cool? Can I be honest? Yes. OK, so I don't don't know a lot. I haven't read all the socialist white floating heads. (laughs) Um, Honestly, I haven't read all of the black and brown ones either right? What I know is stuff that I've lived, and I can share that with you. I don't know everything about the South, but I am Southern and chauvinistic about it. Um, and so I'm just going to share my assessments. Um, I'm also not the person that knows every single thing about every social movement. So if you came here to debate me being wrong about something, probably going to happen. <laughs> and I'm open to that. Uh, But I just want to be real, that I'm human, and I'm sensitive about my shit and my people. And if you're wrong, I'll also tell you. Cool? Cool. We don't do that shit with some respect?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Okay.
1: Uh, What else should I tell
3: you? I should tell you that I don't do
1: lectures. Um, what I will tell you is the random series of notes that I probably wrote at three or four o'clock in the morning while I was doom scrolling,
3: um,
1: after not being able to sleep because I was thinking about what I was supposed to tell you. So, um, so it might not make sense and it might not be connected, and I don't care. Um, that's not true. I care. I care to the point of us being committed to actually doing something, whatever whatever we're supposed to be learning in this space together. Cool. Cool. Y'all down to do that? Yeah. So I'm gonna try to get through what I wrote really quick, and again, it's just random thoughts. Um, I'm gonna try, some of it is probably direct responses to shit I disagreed with that I heard throughout this conference. (laughs) 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 um, Some of it will be specific to the South, some of it will be me saying the South as to not upset coastal elites that might be in this room.
3: Let me just do it, y'all get what I'm saying. Excuse me. Yeah? Could I possibly ask that you speak more into the mic,
4: take your mask off, and speak a little bit slower at the ends of your second For those of
1: us You can are ask ready. and I can try. If I get COVID, I'm gonna remember that you were wearing a UALE shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but I love UALE, it's a fair request. I've been accused of worse things. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure, Any labor educator has. <laughs> Is this better? Yeah. Yes. Alright. So, okay. here we go. Uh-huh. Um, Y'all know, for those of you that know me, maybe I should set just a little bit more context by knowing who you are. How many people have been to Highlander or know who Highlander is? What's up? So y'all definitely are communist trained at the communist training school. Um, You know, and how many people have heard of the Southern movement assembly? I see. All the dream defenders in the room. Uh, How many of you are Southern? Oh, shit. All the Southerners came to the Southern thing and all the gangsters did (laughs) <laughs> no bad name <homework. laughs> um, And how many people are Appalachian? Woo! Isn't it refreshing to actually get shouted out at, at a national conference? <laughs> or I'll get into it. Um, I see y'all and I love you. Thank you for not finding it robbery to be here with me. Um, so a lot of what I know is through both being born and raised as a southerner, being born the daughter of a Black Panther Party member, being born into a moment of uprising in my hometown around police brutality in the 80s. That shit isn't new. Um, being born into the black arts movement, my father was very heavily involved in the black radio infrastructure of the South, uh, among other things. But I raised Southern Movement Assembly specifically, not only because it's a dope best governance tool, if you don't know it and haven't heard of it, you should check out peoplesmovementassemblies.org, you should check out Southern Movement Assemblies website, southtosouth.org, all spelled out. Um, but what I love about, about the assembly is that it's really, three questions that we ask each other every time we're together. <laughs> what's the problem?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And I bet if I asked you what the problem was, you could tell me, if we would spend the rest of the conference talking about it. <laughs> How many panels have you listened to so far where it was like problem, 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 problem done?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we could talk about that. But the, the, the hardest part to me of the assembly and having facilitated lots of them is the second question, which is like, what, what's your utopian vision? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> Um, and then what's your, the third question is like, what's your faithful next step? That's like the three questions that I ask in 99% of the workshops I do. So if you ever come, it's going to probably be that. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. So when I started thinking about what I might talk about with you all, again, not being a lecturer and someone that is particularly uncomfortable with that kind of power dynamic, the first thing that I thought was, what's the problem? And why would we be talking about problems as mm-hmm. socialists? How many people identify as socialists? Mm-hmm. Okay. Communists? Okay, anarchists. Okay, I don't know yet.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I often tell people that I'm a socialist as long as there's capitalism, and then when socialism happens, I'll be a communist, and then when I'll we'll
4: do that. are most anarchists <laughs>
1: are communists. Sorry, guys. Um, JK, 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 don't. You know. <laughs> JK, JK. But the first, the first thing I thought about was, what's the problem? Why would socialists or anybody on the left? talking about this and there's going to be some times where I contradict myself like I'm going to say the left I don't believe there is one yeah. I believe there are multiple lefts we'll get to that in a minute Ooh. but I thought about what is the problem and the first sentence that came to my mind was a, a quote from a, a really incredible theologian um, y'all also will learn that I believe in spirit and I'm going to talk about it because that's where wow. I am um, religion might be the opioid of the masses but also being a black southerner faith is liberation yeah. um And and in fact, you might be secular, but if you've ever chanted, ain't no power like the power of the people, because the power of the people don't stop, then I need you to give me a materialist assessment of how that is true right now. If you've ever said, you know, I believe that we will win while we're losing, (laughs) I would say that you are a person of faith, even if it's in our people. Um, But the point is that this incredible professor, theologian, Gary Dorian, uh, who is a human and complicated as well, so if you know him and you have a beef, I get it. Um, he said to me once that capitalism is inherently predatory. And what I remembered is that not only is it inherently predatory, it is constantly in crisis, right? How many of your OGs for you all that are in cadre organizations have told you that, right? It's always in crisis. This, this moment of particular economic crisis is not new. It's always in crisis, but guess what capitalism also does? It adapts. It adapts, right? And socialism could be an incredible answer, right? How many of you have heard organizations or people that you follow say like, I am an anti-capitalist and feel really excited that you heard it, but they never tell you what they want? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just me? Oh, no. And so what I want, one one of the things that I feel, whether in a context of Southern organizing or in the context of this conference that I really feel thirsty for, Is for socialists to actually articulate a strategy. And you're going to hear me say that a bunch. Socialism is the way. I'm not arguing with you about that. But socialism without a strategy means there's no transition. And that strategy has to include questions that we have all too often, for whatever reasons, I think multitudes of reasons, been unwilling to answer, including how do we keep people safe? Because socialism without abolition won't work. You can ask me why in a minute. That's the first random thought. The second random thought, because I had to figure out how to make it connect to this organizing the South thing, it was as goes the South, so goes the nation is not an opinion, it's a fact. That was, you could have shouted right there. That's, that's the good news, because uh, we've been wanting down there for a long time, so that means that you have a chance if you don't live in the South. Since all y'all are telling, y'all are if socialism strategy or not, (laughs) and I I would argue I don't think there's a strategy, or maybe there are multitudes of strategies and we just all don't know what each other's strategies are. Any one of those things could be true or both. But if socialism is to become a reality in a U.S. context, because it's not going to be like it was everywhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Mm -hmm. If there's going to be socialism in a U.S. context, the heart of that transition, geographically, politically, etc., this is just a logical conclusion to me, is likely going to be in the largest geographic region in the United States. Guess where that is? And if we talk about the history of capitalism in the U.S., what's one of the first things that you would be like, this was, this was an example of capitalism in the U.S.? You that's 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 the enslavement of African descended people, and guess where that happened? Wow. Um, and guess where the, the rest of the majority of black people still live? That's that's wow. that's ding, 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 highest concentration of black people. And then, because I'm a dangerous homosexual, yeah. <laughs> I would be remiss not to mention that if queers and gender, gender expansive people are going to be the tip of the spear of revolutionary change, which I think is true, um, guess where the highest concentration of them live? <laughs> it ain't San Francisco. So nice. <laughs> no shade, it's the California. I love y'all. Um, it's also not Fire Island, right? It's the US South. Which is interesting because when most, raise your this is not to pick on people, I promise. Raise your hand if you're not from the South. Okay, when y'all hear about the South, and and we won't say what you talk about, but when we when we get when we get to what you hear, what do you usually hear about when you talk about the when you hear about the South? Not talk about. When you hear about the South, what are most people talking about? Homophobia.
2: Homophobia.
1: It's so racist and backwards. It's so racist, it's so backwards, they're so poor. You know, like Charlotte is the Wall Street of the South you know but we'll get into that later so what would happen if socialists actually turned the camera around or if you're gonna point it at the south if you pointed it at us because we're solutionary right so the heart of the transition of the socialist movement if there is to be one in a u.s context i would argue cannot happen without the south what else would i say i would say that part of the reason that we constantly get looked at as the problem is because of the remnants of those things that you hear all the time. It's not a lie that those things exist in the South. It's also not a lie that it exists everywhere. But the, 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 the remnants, the stains of that history is a lie because Southerners lived in the past and the present and the future at the same time. But I you, most marginalized people do. Uh, Because we can't just dismiss those things. If we believe that intersectionality exists because of identity, then you should believe that we live in the past, present, and future because of the concrete assessment of concrete conditions. Those remnants are still there and still dictate every step of every strategy about what future we want to get to, right? Mm -hmm. The fight about critical race theory, for example. Mm -hmm. I live in a state, the great state of Tennessee, and I know I have comrades here from there, is currently... A situation where k-12 students and the teachers of those classes cannot even use books in their classrooms because the women of the insurrection have dictated that they are inappropriate for young people to read right most of the books that they have deemed inappropriate you can imagine are about black folks are about queer folks or about the, the the colonization of the identity of whiteness to enslave black folks etc Um, So if we're having contemporary conversations that are impacting our lives because of the remnants of white supremacy's past, then we are both dealing with past issues and contemporary ones. Does that make sense? And that dictates where we can go, supposedly. We'll come back to that in a minute, too. What I would also offer is that when I said, as goes the South, what did you think about? You probably thought about somewhere between 13 or 16 mainland states, right? No. That's not it. All the black people no, were like, that's not no, what you said. No. You were correct. No. Um good job, yeah. correct answer. When I'm talking about the the South, I mean the global South. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, we were talking Eric and I were talking about like, you know, quality over quantity of how many panels and stuff you could have in one day and people still be you know, actually be, be able to absorb this stuff. And I was looking at the program earlier today and I was like, Oh man, the conversation about Sudan, the conversation about China, and the conversation about the US out there all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> but we all, we, we all might have a strategy <laughs> because we're from the global south. So I would, I would just also say there's lessons to learn there. How many of you are socialists because you don't like capitalism as an economic governing structure? Yeah? yeah. No. Probably most of us if we were being honest, right? But, but an economy is, does not ju- just the whole of governance make. Mm-hmm. The global south has taught us this. Anybody been to South Africa? Yeah? Same. Joburg is where I went, And it's one of the most impoverished places I've ever been in my life. And one one of the locals kept telling me, isn't it so great? You can go shop. It's like New York. And I was like, no, baby, no. That's not what's going to encourage me. But I raise it, every South African in particular, because it's a perfect example of what happens when you control a government, but you don't control the economy. Like, there are other examples of what it looks like to control the economy and not control the government. Right? So we lose (laughs) because we keep trying to replicate things that we've never lived (laughs) and we don't practice. Okay, okay. Next random thought because y'all don't hear me. There's this guy, another uh, probably social gospeler um, in the Christian faith that uh, his name is Walter Rosh and and Bush, Walter Rosh and he said, capitalism has overdeveloped the selfish instincts in us all of us, and left the capacity of devotion to larger ends shrunken and atrophied. i say it one more time. Capitalism has overdeveloped the selfish instincts in us all,
4: mm.
1: all of us, and left the capacity of devotion to larger ends shrunken and atrophied. Mm. Random thought at 3 o'clock in the morning. But what I've, you know, there's ways that you could chop this quote up, Right capitalism underdeveloped or like has overdeveloped selfish instincts right you could cut it there or you could say that it left our capacity and devotion to larger and shrunken and atrophy and you could cut it there but i actually found what was most interesting about this quote is he said us all even socialists even socialists, and I think how we practice socialism or the posturing of who's the, the most socialist or the smartest socialist, is an example of how capitalism actually gets replicated in our own spaces, and I think we've seen that this week. And yeah. Yeah. I think that happens, uh, I think that's part of why people don't pay attention to the South. It's because it's selfish. Um, it's because wealth gets concentrated, power gets concentrated in other places that aren't the South because it would d- be dangerous the South actually was resourced in the way that we've been the revolutionary tip of speed. Next random thought. When I remember this was like post Mike Brown being murdered in Ferguson, Missouri, um, there was another so-called black activist who will remain nameless because I'm a messy bitch. Um, who I had a significant problem with, and I felt like media and Twitter and all social media stuff was giving this person a whole lot of uh, power that they did not earn. Um, and I remember calling Alicia Garza, who's a dear friend of mine, and going off about it. I was talking crazy. Yeah, I mean, you see how I'm talking now? I was talking even worse. So I mean, that's my homie. So I said I was a whole lot lucid. Um And she listened to me, and she let me vent. And then after I finished going off, she she laughed, and she looked at me and she said, "Why are you mad?" Which made me even madder. I was like, "You heard what I just said!" Blah, blah, blah. And she said, "Well, then lead, Ashley." And I was like, "Wait, what?" And she was, I was like, "Do you see what I'm do- I'm doing? I'm leading. I'm working my ass off. What do you mean?" And she said, "When we create vacuums." Someone feels it. It's not benign, right? So if I was talking to socialists about organizing the South, I would say this based on that incredible conversation, that learning opportunity that my friend gave me, is that socialism concedes places and people. Um, It leaves vacuums that other people feel. Um, Ask me how I know. It's because how many of you come from rural contexts? Mm-hmm. how many of y'all are like what <laughs> yeah yeah I get it um even in urban settings how many of y'all have faces like in the burbs yeah a few yeah um how many of y'all organize people of faith that's way more than I expected I see y'all um and bless you because that is no small feat Um, How many of you would say that the majority of the people that you were doing political education with to be socialists are actually from the working class? Oh, that's also more than I expected still. Good work. And I think we all know (laughs) that particularly in national formations, that the vast majority of us are sucking um, and intentionally creating creating situations where we don't organize in the places where our people are. That's just historically true. You can find me about it in the comments, the Q&A session. (laughs) <laughs> but I raise it because, again, those things aren't neutral. And I think what I would argue is that everything about our political, ideological alignment or disalignment isn't neutral. right? What we do and don't do is not neutral as socialists. Mm-hmm. And in a moment where I would articulate, and y'all can fight me about this too, that f- fascism and authoritarianism is, is nearly a foregone cl- conclusion... Um, and in fact, I, you know, seeing my comrades from Florida and Tennessee, I'm like, we already are there, <laughs> um, in some ways. Um, DeSantis is a fascist.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot
1: of Period. period. Not... Pence is a fascist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: Um,
1: period, Like Pete, fight me. Um, that us not having a strategy <laughs> and pretending like just us being an ideological debate is enough. Um, mm-hmm. It's not neutral, and that lives depend on us actually answering the question. Next random thought. Uh, This is where, this is definitely not my 4 a.m. rant. This is my after being here for a day rant. Uh, I was just, you know, I was meditating, talking to the black baby Jesus. And I said to him, be it, you know, you know that song some of y'all are Christians or like we're like trying surviving Christianity people. <laughs> I, I get it. <laughs> I know that life. Um but I was I was thinking about I was talking to him, thinking about my ancestors. And some of y'all know that song Jesus be a fence. Yeah. Or at least if you're southern, you don't know line. Oh yeah, a fence around me. I use that line a lot, but I don't want him to be offense. I want him to be at the end of generalizations. <laughs> um the left has this,
4: mm.
1: or the left never does this. Mm-hmm. How many times? I, we, you know, if you drank the, the drink of your choice every time you heard that in the last week, uh, we'd, we'd all either be really, really, really caffeinated, or really, really hydrated, or very drunk. Mm-hmm. This absolute thing, this industrial complex that is neither industrial or necessarily a complex. Mm-hmm. There's one left, there's no left. None of that's true. I pray for the end of good sound bites that are terrible theory. <laughs> we need a school, you have one, etc. I pray that Jesus be a concrete and specific analysis of concrete and specific conditions. And I prayed for Jesus to be a strategy. And then I thought about the great Marxists. Any any Italians in the room? I see you, what's up? Uh, You're about to get excited because I'm gonna talk about Woo! (laughs) He said, pessimism of the intellect, but optimism of the will. Because when I finished my rant about the Jesus B, I was annoyed. Um, and feeling pessimistic about the future of their being a like solid, cohesive, aligned, even if disagreeable left. And then I remembered optimism of the will. The reason that we might have a chance is because we keep showing up. (laughs) We keep having uncomfortable conversations. Uh, We do believe in study. That's a strength of socialism. It's important to be smart. It's important to be excellent and to demand excellency. If you don't get anything else in Southern organizing, you gonna get pushed to be excellent for the sake of our people. But it's also really important to be as excellent in your spitting of theory as you are a listener mm-hmm. at serving the people. And I don't mean just like our food, not bombs, savior complexes. Ooh. I mean like really serving them based on what they said they wanted, not just backseat driving. I think sometimes the multiple lifts treat the South like the girlfriend that you never actually asked out. Ooh, Let me break it down. I, I love metaphors, so y'all just about to have to run this rapidly. And then I have one more and then I'm going to
4: shut up. I to
1: that have you ever just, uh, I need a volunteer because I'm going to need somebody's consent to do this. And you're going to get to date me. What's your
2: name?
1: Ingrid. Ingrid. It's a pleasure to meet you. So I just met Ingrid. Like, literally just not right It's a pleasure. So imagine if just right now I said, Ingrid and me go together. Ingrid would probably be a little surprised, right? Because I didn't talk... I didn't even ask for your to say that. Right? And I'm like, I love her. I love her. And I would do anything for her. I would be a revolutionary. I would burn this whole shit down for Ingrid. But what if when I... Inevitably talked to Ingrid and was like, I don't want you to burn the shit down. Yeah. I just, I want you to know my name. Because I don't know, I don't even know your last name, baby. It's pleasure. I don't know your favorite color. I don't know your mama name. I don't know what org you with. Right, like I just made a whole lot of assumptions about how you want to be loved. But I never really asked you, did I? Yeah. So if I said, hey... Working class, <laughs> I love you. Ooh. I'll burn this whole bitch down for you. Ooh. I'm a revolutionary. The, sa- the, the the working class might say, what are you doing that's revolutionary, since you're calling yourself that? And I might not have a really good answer. I might be like, I read Marx. <laughs> I would be like, do no. <laughs> In capitalism, <laughs> right? I, you know, this, that, or the other. But that happens with the South too, right? It's like I
2: love you, Southerners,
1: but the second it floods,
2: yeah. oh wait, no, no, no. Yeah.
1: the second it snows,
4: yeah.
1: we're a joke, right? Yeah. Y'all, y'all ain't got salt, y'all ain't got snowplows, but you don't know that our infrastructure is literally not built to withstand ice.
4: Yep. Yeah
1: we'll send you like uber eats well that's great except the bridges are out
4: yeah Yeah.
1: right well like how are all y'all dying of covid that's so dumb just wear the mask you hillbilly well that'd be great and i did wear the mask but i still got covid because my governor won't mandate masks and because he didn't expand medicaid and so guess what that meant rural hospitals closed and doctors and nurses fled to other places where they could actually afford to work i'm not dying because i'm an idiot i'm dying because the state has abandoned me and it's sometimes not the great left that is actually building the social safety net to save me. Come on, come on. It's regular-ass people who don't know Marx.
4: Exactly.
1: But they could spit that theory probably better and more eloquently than any one of us. Right? Just because they say people over-profit doesn't make them a worse socialist. Ooh. But we don't ask them how they want to be loved. Uh. And we don't practice it, we assume. But again, we keep showing up. We keep trying, we keep having uncomfortable conversations. Some of us still do crit-self-crit. I I see like the three communists that are like, yeah! (laughs) But my last and final thought before we open it up, and again, thanks for being in my ramble with me, is that there are multiple truths that exist at the same time. And southern organizing, and black organizing, and working-class organizing, and building a socialist front. And what I want Jesus to be, if He doesn't answer any of my other prayers, is to be, is to be supportive of us being able to hold nuance, yeah. and not for the sake of liberalism. Before you say it, that's not what I mean. But because you cannot tell me that you believe in dialectics, and then tell me that multiple things can't be true.
4: Yeah.
1: Profits can be destructive.
0: Absolutely.
1: But that also, there are nonprofits who are making a fucking way out
0: of no
3: way.
1: That hierarchy can be a disaster, but that democratic centralism can be good. Let me give you an example. Uh, Ingrid, can I pick on you? Let me get another volunteer, because there might be somebody else that wants me to love them today. Tell me your name. John. John, what's up, John? Good to see you. Um, so John let's say something is happening in your brain but we've decentralized everything Ooh. and I say this is an extreme metaphor y'all just ride with me <laughs> and I say John I, wanna, I watch crazy happy give me a shot <laughs> you might be like actually in this moment a hierarchy of prioritizing someone who is like a doctor <laughs> might be smart here Well, then I would argue that if we're building a revolution, that sometimes prioritizing people who have actually done it might be smart, even if I've read all the books, that maybe a material assessment might mean that there are some people who have a lot of knowledge that we might should listen to. Which also doesn't mean that there are people who are brand new to this shit that don't have real, real shit to say about what we should be doing because of their lived experiences. Both things can be true. Jesus be the defense of complexity. Jesus be the truth. We can have all the critique about how critical race theory is actually the right wing's attempt at manipulating the truth. But if we were being honest, the more we say socialism is one thing that most of us have never built, we're not being honest either. That we have the answers to how we will keep people safe in the absence of, uh, you know, what they've always known. If we don't actually struggle and sharpen each other and practice and learn and assess, fuck up and win and be able to answer the question of how we keep people safe, we are lying. We are lying. We're not telling the whole truth. And I was taught that the whole truth is the truth. and <laughs> that Anything less than that is not. Unless we say we don't know. Jesus be the truth that we don't always know. That we don't always know how to bring about the socialist revolution that we want to see or the communist one or anarchist one, whatever, whatever. pick your poison. Jesus be some humility. That, That it's okay to be vulnerable and soft and not have all the answers in a time where most people feel confused. Jesus be the abolition of the fear to leave even if we lose, to have a beginner's mind and some fucking curiosity, to recognize that accountability without grace is just punishment,
3: Oh, oh. Yeah. oh. Yeah. oh. oh. Yeah. Okay,
1: now. accountability without grace yeah. is just punishment, oh. Oh, but that grace without accountability is complicity. Oh. Okay, okay. Oh. I just want us to actually recognize that being human as we build whatever socialism is supposed to be is actually what will make our movements, movements plural, our lefts plural, accessible enough to the people that are supposed to be leading it in the first place. That that might be the thing that fucks around and helps us win. Uh, And that's what I know about the South. So I'm going to stop there and I'm going to open it up for us to just wrap each other. good.
3: The first thing I'm going to do is invite some of those people on their feet in the back of the room. If you want to rest your bones, there's a bunch of seats up front. Uh, to make way up. And I'm sure that like Ash, there's the people here that have some of those random 4 a.m. thoughts, um, some of those learning moments, things like that, share them with I'm taking us like, Black hoodie. Okay. Um, I got it. Um, you can come on up to the mic. Definitely.
4: Oh, I don't know. Yeah, come
3: on up. Squats. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Hi. Get outside.
0: You know, it's all right. It's all right.
3: Um, I'm still, I raised my hand, and I thought it was going to go in a different direction. (laughs) Because I've been kind of trying to workshop this question, and I really appreciated you highlighting that the South is bigger than a collection of states. And um, to be slightly contradictory, I live in Florida, which is about as close to a collection of the global South as you can get. One concentrated area. Um, the state itself might as well be six states, but yep. the ways in which we have, uh, you know, folks from what is essentially a colony known as Puerto Rico, you have Venezuelans, you have Cubans, you have Haitians, you have Dominicans, you have Jamaicans, you have, Jamaicans, you have uh, good, good old-fashioned Black Americans. Yes. Um, <laughs> and you know, we out here. Um, And uh, you have West Africans. And a lot of times, who we experience in the Global South, who live in Florida, absent of the Caribbean, are people who have come in with relatively fascist politics. Yes. And so it has been very difficult, as we've sort of been able to move a formation of like black and brown solidarity, especially with black Americans, Caribbeans, Puerto Ricans, to the exclusion of then seeing these cities that are monopolized by fascists who say that they are us. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm just wondering what does, because I don't think that we've, we've seen a successful socialist coalition globally that is able to hold that kind of complexity of identity ethnicity we finally gotten somewhere around gender I don't know where that is yet but it's somewhere it's somewhere we are inching towards something around orientation and gender identity but every time I'm in a space somebody is like what's material about being transgender and I'm like you don't shut the fuck up. Nah. <laughs> I have and, and so was. I'm just wondering, sort of, what is what is. Obviously, we are trying to replicate things that we have never experienced. But what is going to be the center of what is going to be the thing that grounds and keeps people in a cause together? Mm-hmm when people will not even acknowledge that the divisions that have been built out through capitalism and imperialism do hurt, do cause pain, do cause me not to want to work with white comrades, cause me not to want to work with straight people, cause me not to want to work with patriarchal folks. Like how do we actually exist? And then on top of that, have so much diversity of of origin that it's sort of like constant clash. That is not sharp. Like I said, I thought I was going I had to workshop that it was sharp.
1: sharp. <laughs> Raise your hand if you want to answer the question. Yeah. Raise your hand if it's also your question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Thanks. What? 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 Awesome. Thank you for that. I got you. Let's, yeah, let's take a few. Cool.
3: I got the cover out right of the pink stripes and then the cover in the back in the green row. I uh, said pink stripes and I didn't see the shirt and I was Girl. like, oh, babe, you're colorblind. Green. <laughs> 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 Hello. Um, my, my, my name is Johan. I am from Orlando. I work with uh, Orlando Liberation Initiative. Hey. hey. And, what, you okay. Hey. Oh, right. Well, we, we just started like, this summer and co-founded it. I love, I love how you speak. I love, I love how articulate you are. I love how human you are and the way you conduct this. Um, I had a question mostly about, I guess, people and organizations in the South. Uh, all of you right now, uh O-L-I. Uh, as well as many smaller organizations are fo- focused on mutual aid uh, as a response to the worsening of uh, unbelievable conditions for the working class, how do we as people and orgs work towards uh, more state disruption and real action You know, within? That's, that's my question. It's a great one. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you for this question.
1: Okay. I love this question. Hi hey there, I'm Chris I'm from New Orleans. Oh,
4: and New
1: Orleans? I okay. <laughs> I just wanted to say when I first, I'd, kind of, I'd seen this talk and I had an idea of what
4: I wanted to bring up in it, and then I walked in, and the first thing I hear from you is about the spiritual core of your work. And I'm like, that's it already, I don't have to
2: But I mean, from the South, you know, New Orleans is very black, it's very Catholic, it's very queer. Oftentimes, not all three at the same time. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I'm often at odds
4: with my peers there about,
1: so just don't get into religion much. I think it's a, a huge tactical mistake to see to all that ground into yeah. yeah. the right yeah. thing. Right. Anyway, any thoughts or advice you have on, should we be getting into the churches to talk to people? Do we need to have work? Uh, like, how do you reach out to people? How do you integrate that into our work? I love this question. Y'all killing
2: it. Let's go. Okay, let's do those. Oh, come on. No, what's up? Come on.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I'll do a. I'll do a set, and then we'll come back.
2: What's up? Hi. Hi. uh, Melanie, United Campus Workers. Y'all should know I'm United Campus
1: Workers. Give it up for.
2: This is (laughs) my favorite. But I came in a little late, and one of the first things that you mentioned was the flooding in Jackson um and in general recently i've been organizing more in uh southern mississippi and southern louisiana and alabama and it has been a real education in understanding how deeply destructive climate change is going to be in our communities um and like when hurricane ida hit new orleans last year people just didn't have power for weeks and weeks how the fuck do you organize if you can't even turn the lights on? Um, and so I'm just curious if any reflections you have on our task as organization builders and, and really being able to survive um, organizationally and grow through climate change threats.
1: Yeah, take a breath. That's a heavy one, especially right now. Um, so let's start at the top. Ooh, AG, this is a big question. I mean, I think the the first thing that came to my mind when you started asking this question was like either we believe in borders or we don't. Uh, we, you know, and again, I remember I said I was going to contradict myself because I also said there's multiple truths. This one feels really clear to me though. And mm-hmm. like, what's the question under the question for? Like, what are we? My uh, very Highlander question is, what are we supposed to be learning from what's happening with this? Both because of what the, nas- like the right nationalist tendency is forcing, but, but if we were honest, this whole thing about identity politics is also some shit that we're weaponizing against each other. Yeah. Only the marginalized people get to... Sh- who did that one? <laughs> <laughs> Ask me how I know. <laughs> um, so there's going to be multiple truths to my answer in this. If I was talking about how the white right in particular takes advantage of like Chinese nationalists that are also very right-wing or Hindu nationalists who are very right-wing or any other right-wing thing that is not white <laughs> and weaponizes it against the, the, the national movements. Y'all know what I mean when I say national movements? Just in case you're new to the, to the term, it's like all the folks of color <laughs> in their own little block, right? So like the black nation, you know, the other nations, et cetera. Um, of course they're gonna find, you know, their Candace Owens of whatever these things are. What'd you say? <laughs> you <Y'all> are <laughs> <laughs> but this row is lit. <laughs> um, uh, Candace Owens, whose family is Southern, right? Um, and what we do, I don't know what we do nationally. I think that's a conversation to be had. I think what I have been taught is that you isolate the backward yep. the only way you can isolate the backward if they are a part of marginalized communities is to be in marginalized communities and be like you got an option you got a multitude of options if i was so let, i'm gonna keep talking about Kenneth owens because i don't know i don't know how to talk about these white cubans without getting in trouble and that is somebody mad at me <laughs> so i'm gonna talk about my own people <laughs> um if i was in north carolina where some of my family is from or any p- black place where Fox News shows and there are black people. I would say, okay, like, cool. You could do that. <laughs> or you could have this if we have socialism. <laughs> Which of those sounds more attractive to you? Like, Candace won't come and talk to you in your barbershop. She's afraid of black people. Y'all don't like it, Candace. So let's uh, let's yeah. use Stacey Dash. People, <laughs> Do people watch the... Uh,
3: the Breakdown. That?
1: Yes. DMX. So, okay, but like even if we just talked about what's the show with her and NeNe Leakes and Ray J, the- uh, Oh, no. College Hill. College Hill. Yeah. I wasn't going to watch that shit. <laughs> I watch, but my girlfriend I is not movies. in movement. And she was like, we got to watch College Hill. I was like, I don't want to watch this shit. She was like, we got to watch it. I was like, all right. And so we're watching College Hill and Stacey Dash is like not having it. But she said yes to being on the show, right? But what, what most black people saw when they saw that show was like Stacey being a jerk to her own people. <laughs> While they saw Nina Lynx, or even more importantly, Big Frida, yeah. being a fucking superhero. Yeah. Why I say I believe in nuance is because I actually trust our people. I really do. Like, it, maybe it's not smart or strategic. Sometimes it's definitely blown up in my face. <laughs> But I really believe that when we talk to our people, honestly, where they're at, about the nuance of the multitude of options that they have in front of them, they will choose us if we organize to have earned their trust and respect. I believe that.
3: And I think
1: if we were, you know, I don't live in Florida, so take this with of grain of salt. But if I lived in Florida, and I was of Floridians, I would be like, okay, so you've got DeSantis, who is a Neanderthal, and no, like I shouldn't even do that to Neanderthals. Like he's an asshole, right? I shouldn't do that to ass, he's a fascist, right? Yeah. If, I, if, I, if I show you the ways that he's impacting the material conditions that you're living in, because he's making choices to, on purpose, and I show you that there are people who look like us who are funding that, I mean, to the extreme, who are voting for him, who are not voting because it helps him get in, who are doing all numbers of things. Which one, which side are you, y'all said it. Which side are you on? The Dream Defenders organizing speaks for itself in part because you trusted people, the most directly impacted people. So does that give you an easy answer about like how to deal with folks that look like us who do terrible things? No, but that's, that's the organizing. It is, the, the, in fact, the organizing. So if I was thinking about the actual question around like what gets centered, what grounds and keeps people in a cause together, I don't know. What I do know is what we've tried. right? And what I felt, like, I'm going to use 2020 as my example because it's the most recent, where I think we got really fucking close, was around Trump getting a second term. Right? Um, and so to say it was like, we put some shit to the side because we didn't want a fascist feels too hyperbolic. Cause I don't know that I believe Trump is, a, I think he's a terrible human. I don't know that he's a fascist. Um, I don't know if y'all could, y'all could organize me around that. Um, I think he's horrible, but I don't know. He's not Pence. He's not DeSantis. He's not Nikki Haley. He's not there's no Greg Abbott. Yeah, I mean, like you know not mindful mean?
4: enough.
1: He's not mindful enough. Yes. Um, not because I don't think he's smart. He's not that smart. He's not that kind of smart.
4: Um,
1: And so I think what what we saw was like, we didn't all have to, when I say we, I mean like the Movement for Black Lives, I mean the Working Families Party, I mean the Rising Majority, I mean all of the folks that partnered with the frontline, all of that. We didn't create a United Front, which is what I wanted. We did build a hell of a campaign. And we built that campaign with no money in August, because Southerners have been telling people that Trump was about to get a second term, and nobody listened until August. Because all I almost said all of y'all, all of them mm. believe that Hillary was going to, or uh, uh, Bernie was going to win, or somebody else would get it, or yeah. you know maybe Elizabeth Warren, or maybe maybe you know Biden will pull it out without black women breaking their backs again, which was a lie. Right? It was incorrect. Black women are the reason you got Biden. White people are the reason you got Biden too. <laughs> Uh, because black most black women didn't pick five. but whatever you know anyway <laughs> Say all that to say. The, the thing that centered us was the the desire for the outcome of the campaign that and and, and and not because it wasn't even specifically because we gave a shit about Trump it was because we gave a shit about the impact of Trumpism on the campaigns that we already had right um, And I think that's what mobilized a lot of people including you know, I'm never, ever, ever, ever probably going to be the person that negotiates with Republicans. I just need to say that out loud. If you were looking to follow my leadership because I will rock with them, that has historically not been me. Okay. Never say never. But there, there were folks that, that folks like me were willing to be in proximity to in a different way. Our, our sectarianism ceased because it was August and Trump was about to get a second term. And so people put a lot of shit to the side, you know. Um, I didn't talk to the Republicans, but I surely talked to some people that talked to Michael Steele. I sure did. I'd do that shit again if it meant Trump didn't get a second time, right? So what are we supposed to be learning from that? I don't know. What I know is it wasn't identity that we centered around, not totally. I think where identity mattered was that we made, we, and I do mean a lot of black people in this room, made it impossible for other folks not to follow our leadership. And I think we black leftists made it impossible for black liberals to be the center of gravity do you think that's where identity play tomorrow but i think the rest of the campaign was really about control of conditions and so i wonder i think the failure was that we didn't have the stamina to make it like we we, we were right that we would need to push through the first hundred days that we wouldn't know the election results immediately we, we called it where we where we were weak uh and we were weak weak in a lot of ways you know the state is always going to fight back, white supremacy is always gonna fight back, patriarchy on patriarchy. patriarch. Is going to but what's also real is that we didn't have the, the stamina to be able to to deal with that and the neoliberal response to separate us, particularly the left from the the what, what what didn't become a United Front but a campaign. And still inspire people to keep fighting. Right? So what is that what are we supposed to learn? I don't know. I'm still I'm still autopsying it, but I think to your question of what will be at the center, I imagine it'll be another crisis like that. It'll be that you know I'm a BW downer, but I promise I'll preach y'all back up in a second. I think Trump is our best. case, Bill Fletcher, who is probably here somewhere, said I was being a fatalist the last time I said it. I'm gonna say it again. Y'all can tell him I said it. Um, he'll laugh because he knows I'm an asshole. Um, is that I think Trump is our best case scenario. <laughs> I think Trump. I think uh, uh, the Democrats have no candidate. <laughs> um, and you know, what is going to be Biden again or Kamala?
4: No.
1: Right? Like who's inspired? No. Nobody. <laughs> um, the GOP could get Trump. I think that's our best, I think that's our best case scenario because people hate him, and he might go to jail. Oh, the, then I'm an abolitionist, but, like, I don't actually give a fuck if he goes to jail. Sorry. Sorry, Naomi. <laughs> I'm looking on that. I'm sorry. Bail, Andrea, Ruthie, my bad, But it's true. I don't I'm give really a fuck. <laughs> don't be Um And God bless him and, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think our worst... If you had asked me a little bit ago about our worst-case scenario that would have brought that collective cohesion back together a bit, I would have said DeSantis. Yeah. He terrifies me y'all yeah. And what yeah, he's no, done to my he shut, we, we, I mean yeah, like for real What he's yeah. done to y'all Is abominable I mean like even just last week y'all He's pulling He, Y'all I know he spent what is it like 70 mil, billi, million Billion on this police This electoral police force or yeah, whatever the fuck. Arrested people
3: that the state and He arrested qualified. people that Republicans said should
1: vote! Yeah. He pulled people we know out of their houses in their pajamas, y'all. He wouldn't let them put clothes on and lock them up. If that don't smell like fascism, I don't know what does, right? He's scary. I was like, there's probably somewhere in between Trump and and DeSantis that is Cruz's dumb ass, but he ain't got a chance. And then uh, Abbott in Texas. Nikki Haley is absolutely running for president. Um, so they, they're like somewhere in the middle and then I watched the January 6th hearings and I was like and I, I didn't want to watch that shit it's terrible and I survived a white supremacist attack why would I want to watch that shit it's a trigger every day right? Um, but I could not watch it and I felt like there was something we were supposed to be learning and I was like where are the patterns and I noticed this cadence of like pence Pence saved democracy. Pence is a reasonable Republican. What the fuck? Yeah. I mean, the the oxymoron of it, right? Pence is a responsible Republican. Pence risked his life to save democracy, you know, with no mention that he waited until literally, like, the final hour of January 5th. And only then because, you know, they were going to lynch him.
2: Right?
1: And I realized that the reason Liz Cheney, or my assessment is that the reason Liz Cheney was willing to destroy her career is because she was setting Pence up for his presidential run. And that scares me even more than DeSantis, at least as much as DeSantis. Um, And I raised Pence particularly because he also threatened the Dream Defenders. Y'all remember that? He was like, go fuck them up for real. (laughs) Um, As the Vice President of the United States. You know you gotta be doing some real shit when the Vice President of the United States is like, I'm about to fuck y'all shit (laughs) up. (laughs) Whoo! So, I think, I think when we get clear about the GOP nominee, that that might be the thing that triggers us coming back together again. Because all of the other things that I would have said are happening, and the left is not unifying. Yeah, yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would have said the cops are gonna kill some other black person, and it will turn up again. Nope. It's like people are numb. People are tired. All f- fair things. The yeah. um, disappointing things, but fair things. Yeah. And we're exhausted. We haven't stopped for a very long. I mean, for those of you that are actually really active in social movement, mass movement work and red work on top of that, you're probably fucking exhausted. Because <laughs> we've been in rapid response mode for like a decade. Yeah. But we have no long term strategy, right? Or very little or really discombobulated long term strategy. So short answer I think the crisis of the elections, which is hilarious because, you know, y'all don't fuck with elections. Um, or at least until, like, two days ago because y'all think Jessica Bird is cute. Um, and you're right. Uh, I think that's that's probably what it is. Um, and that's terrifying. Um, and maybe too little too late. Um, so that's what I think to that question. Um, I think the question that I would ask in addition to that AG is at what expense? Because what's real is it's... Uh, We might get the diversity and all that, and it be, they feel like 2020, and that'll be great, but it costs like black women, particularly queer, black women, trans folks, queer folks, working class folks that came from the working class, even if they're professional class now, whatever that means, and you know, a fucking US context. It costs a lot. It costs relationships. It costs, you know, physical and mental and spiritual well being, you know, and people are still in recovery. So, what does it mean? To then have to do that again—it's only been like a year. Yeah.
2: Whoo! I don't want to do
1: that, <laughs> but I will. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's that mutual aid question. Love this question. Um, I want—I think you know when when the shutdown first happened, which was what twenty, what, like twenty twenty, March of twenty twenty. It's like one big year. Yeah. Um, the you know I, like I said I like to see patterns, <laughs> right? like what is going on like you know try to get my feet under me before I start throwing tactical spaghetti at the wall like the left's multiple lefts do um because I like strategy and so I got real still and I just started paying attention to what I was hearing over and over and over again and what I heard over and over again was philanthropy talking about mutual aid and I was like what is this interesting but charity is not mutual aid. Mutual aid is not charity. Mutual aid is a political direct action. And if you are doing mutual aid, even if you're not, like it's easy for us to talk shit about the philanthropists, the institutional philanthropy people, the major rich people donors. So let's talk about us because that's easy. Um, us just doing it and going home and the material conditions never changing, so we keep having to be the people that do it. Not very different from charity. Come on, right? So, if, so I felt like Highlander's platform was one place, not the only place, but one place where we should put a line in the sand early in the shutdown around what mutual aid is and what it is not. So we immediately started, started doing virtual online trainings with our community safety team about mutual aid. Um, and it was, everybody wanted to talk about mutual aid. You would have thought like we had found the holy grail I was like, people. People. Some people doing this shit for a really long. Time. It's not like we made some shit up. We just repeated what people were already doing. So how do we, as if people and organizations, work toward more state disruption? It's like do mutual aid, but let it be mutual aid. Don't call charity solidarity. It's not. Um, and so you know, it's easy to reflect back and be like, yeah, like the Black Panther Party. You know, it's also easy because that's my mom um uh i grew up in, in, the, in the like in proximity to the party um to be like yeah like the breakfast program and then the state co-op today and blah 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 but like there are 21st century ex- you know examples of people that are doing mutual aid that disrupts yeah. right and so i would just say like some self uh scrutiny about how many people are doing mutual aid you, can be, you should be proud. That's some shit I put my hand all the way in the air. Because what's real is for those of us that are Southern and did that shit, we saved people's lives during the pandemic. Yeah, because the state abandoned us. Right? Mutual aid was the safe, the social safety net that saved Southerners' lives. No fucking question. I would fight about that. Um, so you should be proud. And I see you, and I appreciate your work. But the thing that I would ask myself is like, am I, am I literally a platinum Band-Aid on a gunshot wound of capitalism and white supremacy and patriarchy? Or am I actually an alternative to the state, right? Am I being disrupted? It's really not rocket. I feel like the left makes like finger painting into rocket science. Like, Just ask the fucking question. And not to beat yourself up, though maybe you need to be accountable, but to like actually get to the place of winning, do you want to win? Do you want to win, socialists? That's the, that's the fucking question. Do you want to win? Are you scared of power? Do you not want to govern? Cause that's some real shit y'all I'm not saying all of us should do it, it I don't wanna government's scared, like, I'm, an, I'm an executive director That shit is not I'm sexy I mean you should do it if <laughs> you get called up By the movement to do it but it's not It's not sexy and we're scared of failure We preempt disappointment We do what humans do So like Being you know with some level Of again cause accountability without grace Is just punishment and just not particularly strategic <laughs> it's not I was just talking to a, a comrade earlier today about modern Palestinian comrade about modern and how sexy socialists talk, of, like, make it like oh my god I'm dying for the revolution it's like actually that's oh not cute <laughs> <laughs> right I don't want to die <laughs> for the movement <laughs> ask me how I know it's because white supremacists blew up my fucking office there's nothing cute about it it's dumb there's only one of you yeah. right? and we need you yeah. winning is sexy Surviving to be able to enjoy the win is sexy, <laughs> right? And so, and then there's a place for martyrdom if we have to. But guess what, comrades? We are not in a rev- this what revolution. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. So, th- don't be self scrutinizing to make a martyr of yourself so you get attention. That's not cute. But for the sake for the sake of what? Is for the sake of actually being excellent enough that we win. And if we're not, if those of us that do and exercise, you know, some experiments around mutual aid aren't doing that and seeing. To me, at the end of the day, the thing that I'm measuring is, are my people more powerful than I than they were when I started this? Every day. And if they're not, then I'm not doing my shit right. Whether it's mutual aid or anything else. If my direct actions, and pick the tactic, if my mutual aid programs are not making people more powerful, which is what the Panthers did, what the Young Lords did, then, then my mutual aid is charity. And I should just call that. And that's fine. There's a In pl- capitalism, as long as this world exists, they might be mean for that but it still might be a platinum band-aid, right? Is my direct action leaving people more powerful than I found them? And if not, then why the fuck did I do that? Mostly so I would feel better, like I did something. Mm-hmm. Is the policy that I'm pushing for leaving people more powerful? Or is the state more powerful? And if it's the state, then maybe this is reform and not abolitionists? right? Just a simple question, not to like beat yourself over the head with. It but to just see if you're actually building strategic power of your people, which is what I was told y'all socialists want. Next question. Socialists don't get into religion. (laughs) Thoughts or advice uh, about what we should do? Should we be like infiltrating churches? (laughs) Y'all are so, socialists are funny, man. Y'all covert shit, which isn't particularly covert, is always really funny. (laughs) 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 We're gonna salt like everybody knows. (laughs) <laughs> Y'all been doing the same shit for a long time. Uh, we, 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 we. Um, I think the, the left, like parentheses, S, lefts, um, overcorrects. I think we overcorrect. I think we overcorrect a lot. I think religion is only one example of that. I think this obsession with the nonprofit industrial complex is another uh, but, y'all asked me about religion, so I'm, I'm not going to <laughs> But, like, religion, you know, Christian nationalism and supremacy is fucked up. It is scarred. Raise your hand if you got some church hurt. It's a whole bunch of us. I see you. Raise your, raise your hand if you're a black person that came up and a black liberation theologian. You know, like, some of us did that, too. Multiple things are true. You Latinx, you got a whole history of, like, Latinx liberation theology. Womenist. Queers, there's a whole bunch of shit, right? And the church is still fucked up. Both things are true. <laughs> but what do what does the good left do? We say, fuck religion. <laughs> and then guess what? We're like, there's no consequence to that. Mm-hmm. Fuck them, they're wrong. But you conceded oh, all those other people who were either the middle that could have been moved or were already on your side in the first place. Because guess what? There is a thing called Christian socialist. You should uh, check out Obey Hendricks while you see it. Um, And it's not benign Because what did I say? Neutrality is not real It's a myth So a vacuum gets created and guess who fills it? White nationalists White supremacists, paramilitary forces That are excited to take these people Do you know what the data says About why white people Particularly white Christians But generally white people too Are joining white supremacist organizations? Anybody? Raise your hand if you know What? Belonging they want to belong to something. Guess who they don't feel like they belong to? Mm. I'm particularly looking at you white leftist, because I didn't do that. wasn't my responsibility to, necessarily. I mean, to get lowercase d democracy, we've got to have a multiracial movement, so I'm not arguing that. But I am looking at white people like, what the fuck? <laughs> don't hate your people. That doesn't mean no service. your people white people because in the absence of your love they hate everything
4: everything.
1: Um, so what should we do well we should be authentic if you've got shit with churches and that is destructive don't get just don't you'll do more harm than good But if you have the like multilingual (laughs) chameleon body that can hold good politics and faith work, please get down. They are waiting for us. I can't tell you how, I I decided I was going to prioritize it again. I told y'all I was a PK. Um, And I mean like cornily stereotypical. My dad is a missionary Baptist, the son of many, 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 many missionary Baptists. My mom is an AME. It's like King and Coretta. Only the church folks will get that joke, and I appreciate you. Um, So, like, yeah, it's like I I went to Lot Cary. Lot Cary, for folks that don't know, is, like, the largest black, oldest black missionary society in the world for the first time now that they're like 125 years old, I think led by a black woman for the first time. Wow. Wow. Her name's Gina Stewart. She's like the Beyonce of preachers. Um, <laughs> she's like, hey, she got good politics y'all. She, she, she good. She, I don't know if she's a socialist, but she cool. Um, and I was like, this is going to be gross. Missionaries, ugh. You know, like colonization. y'all going telling people about the love of Christ. That feels gross to me. So I went real skeptical. And anybody that knows me in this room, hand if you think you know me. For real? It's a few of y'all that like for real know but You know I'm a skeptic. I'm a natural skeptic. I'm a Gemini. I'm Aries rising. I'm an Aries moon. I got shit to say about everything. <laughs> uh, even the good shit, I'm like, there's something in here that is not okay. <laughs> uh, so I came in with that, that vibe. I was like, I love Gina, but this is probably some really disgusting shit. And I got there, and there were people from all over the world, in New Orleans, during hurricane season. And they were like talking about social justice and how the resources that had been like fundraised by Lot Carey kept people who were doing social justice work in churches employed during the pandemic across the world. About how the money didn't go to just like handing out Bibles, but you know, to the Haitians after the earthquake (laughs) or uh, you know, to folks in South Africa Uh, to keep clergy that were preaching about the end of patriarchy employed. And I was like, oh, Ash, you made a lot of assumptions. (laughs) Maybe there's some room here, right? And then, you know, I started paying attention to the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference, other black church people. And they were praying about, like, the fall of capitalism. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah, Jeremiah Wright founded this. Duh. So I have a couple right? right? So black people who have been doing social justice work for a very long time. And it just so happens that they're also Christian. And if I can say that about Christians, you know that shit is true for like folks that practice Islam, for folks that practice Buddhism, which arguably isn't a religion, right? But whatever, we don't know the difference, right? All these things. <laughs> so maybe there's Maybe this hasn't been true. And maybe the overcorrection was necessary at a particular time where the particularly the Christian church wasn't willing to grapple with its bullshit. Fair enough. And conditions change. Right? And what does that mean for now? It means I think for those of us that are I don't I don't think a strategy where like you are like a fuck church person going in and pretending like you like church people is gonna work. Don't do that. <laughs> But if you if you love church people, <laughs> because they're probably your people, then maybe there's some work for us to do, because there's an opening. And what I found in my experience of doing that church work um, is that as much as I had criticism of the church, um, we as the left had done a lot of harm too, because we had told folks that had fled those spaces that they couldn't bring their spirituality,
4: right?
1: Um, I grew up in, you know, left-leaning spaces in the 90s and early 2000s, where if you were talking about pouring libations, people was looking at you funny. Mm -hmm. Now it's like the thing to do, even though nobody knows about the practice of libations. Mm -hmm. The co-optation of spiritual culture in the left right now, and everybody wants to be a cultural organizer, Guess what spiritual work is, culture, um, is, is interesting. And so I think we have to do a couple of things, and then I'll move to the last question. One of those things is I think we have to be honest that, like, movement people fuck up too. And that though it might not be proportionate, that we have some things to be accountable for with faith people too. Um, and the, not again, I'm not saying that the church doesn't have a whole lot more to be responsible for, but I am saying that I've noticed that we're real quick to show what they did, but not to be self-reflective about how we have perpetuated similar harm in our own spaces to those same folks. Mm-hmm. Second thing that I would say, and I say this particularly to a lot of my queer homies, um, outside of the conversation about spirituality, because you know there's such a push for so many of us to be like out, um, which I don't think you have to be. <laughs> um, I think multiple things are true. But I, I often tell them, if you're gonna come out to people who are not ready for you to be out, uh, that you should expect this, to give up to some of the grace that you expect to receive. <laughs> And I'm not saying that because they deserve it. Grace isn't about deserving this. Grace isn't about deserving this. None of us deserve grace. We all fuck up. I fuck up every day, multiple times a day. I probably fucked up while I was in here. I don't always deserve grace for the things I do. Um, But that's the thing about it. it. Everybody gets it. Everybody should have it. Inherently, you should have it. And so what does it look like for us to, what would happen? What would shift? How would time bend? How would belonging bend if we extended the grace that we expect to receive from the very communities that we say we want to be organizing? Yeah. Um, so that's what I think. I think we should start with like some honest conversations about like where we fucked up and, and where we can forgive with accountability. Um, and I don't think that's a mission for everybody. I think if you feel called to it and you can love the people through it, even in the contradiction. Um, then that might be work for you in the same way that not all of us should be organizing white people or in multi-racist spaces. That's a particular calling for, for a particular kind of people, and if it ain't you, then don't do it because you are distracted. Um, and then the big question, Mel, you know, this is a big one. Um, and it's big not only because it's climate change and that's a big thing, but it's big because I feel like we've been answering this question for decades. For de- literal decades, at least, that I know of, right? How do you organize in the middle of these man-made crises? Well, when we when I first started getting involved in the climate movement, it was because I'm from Appalachia. Yes, black people exist there. Um, yes, we do. And uh, in fact, like, you know, the first Appalachian newspaper, pop quiz. Where was the first Appalachian newspaper written? Appalachia. Appalachia, you know where in Appalachia? I'll buy you a drink. Jonesboro. Jonesboro, Tennessee. So like northeast Tennessee country as fuck, right? You know where the the Southern Worker came from? You wait, first do you know about the Southern Worker? I mean, most of the Southerners in the room do. I'm sure. Is it like a communist newspaper? In? Yeah? You know where it was published? You better talk about my hometown with some respect on its name, honey. In Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Alabama, but that's a you know longer story. The Communist Party had three headquarters in the United States back in the day. You know where they were? There was one in the main headquarters, but yes. Chattanooga, Chattanooga, New York, and San Francisco, right? So we have all of this infrastructure that often gets ignored because we also then are at the brink of these man-made disasters. The infrastructure we have does not account for all of those. So when we first started doing this work, I was doing work around mountaintop removal. I was, I was learning about the history of the left, particularly in an Appalachian context, which had been stolen from me, and it pissed me off. I was mad because it felt intentional,
4: mm-hmm.
1: and, it, and it felt like theft. And what I realized was that there was, the part of the reason that I didn't know about all this movement infrastructure was on purpose. Mm-hmm. If I had known it, and everybody had known it, we would have a very different Appalachian, right? And the storm started. And we were like, okay, why are these storms starting? It's because the weather's changing. Why is the weather changing? Because of climate change. We knew that. We maybe didn't know like the parts per billion shit, the science, but we knew a lot. I mean, Ben did. <laughs> ben maybe told us, uh, but most of us were like, you know, liberal arts majors. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, floods started, the 2016 floods in West Virginia. Worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Katrina before that, right? Worst thing I'd ever seen in my life. Then what we notice is that the storms were happening more frequently. Like even just last year, right? We, we haven't had a season without man made climate disasters in the South in like two years. Whether it was the freezing in the winter, the tornadoes and droughts and floods in the spring and summer, both things. Jackson, so the Pearl River flooded, but now they're in trouble because they have no water. Kentucky flooded because they've blown up all the mountains. Guess what that does? That disrupts all the soil and the trees. Guess what absorbs water? Ding, ding, fucking ding. Right? Eastern Kentucky got hit bad. But have you heard about Southwest Virginia? Why? Why not? Okay? Spring and summer goes into the fall. Guess what happens in the fall in the South? Fucking hurricane season. Right? So what happens even if it was just to a person, not an org, when you are in a constant state of rapid response to the lack of state-sanctioned infrastructure to respond to keeping people safe when you have storms from January to December. So to your point, how do you organize in that? You do. Mutual aid, one of the ways, right? Direct, recognizing that there's not going to be a way that our organizations or communities can just be experts in one tactic anymore Mm -hmm. is what I think will help us survive what is happening and what is coming and help us grow. If we only do direct action and we don't organize, we won't win. Mm -hmm. If we only organize and don't do direct service, we won't meet the the people, won't be able to do shit. Right? The days where we could be tactical supremacists, Mm -hmm. it's a wrap. It's been a wrap for a minute. I think that also goes to the the question to your question, AG, about like what gets centered, it's a multi tactical strategy. It's the only way we win. That's, and it, I, it doesn't matter the, the question about the context. It's how will we will win against climate change, man made climate disasters, how we'll survive them. It's how we will beat the fascists. If we are to have a socialist reality in this country, it will be because we exploited a multi tactical strategy or multiple, multiple tactic strategies, right? That got us there. Um, I don't say that because I think it's easy. It is the hardest shit I've ever done in my entire life. Um, the last thing I'll say on that one, because I know we're at time, is that I also think um, that it'll be because we we figured out that that the the capitalist motif of, of self care is whack, um, but but community care is the, is the win. Um, and I so I think if all of those things get paired. Um, we might fuck around and be able to survive this, um, and and I don't I don't and and like to your point and grow to have a critical mass that believes that we actually give a shit in the first place. I think people think we give a shit more about being right, ideologically than, than we care about human survival. And um, yeah, I think we got to do something about that. Thank you for the question. All right, I love y'all. Though.
0: All right, guys, thank you so much again for listening. If you've made it all the way to the end, thank you for sticking with us. I realize I didn't talk about the election at the beginning, so I'm going to do it here at the end. This podcast is coming out on Sunday, uh, November 6th, and Tuesday, November 8th is election day. So if you have not voted, please, 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 please vote on Tuesday. Our voting, early voting numbers are down from 2018. Uh, they were down by 20 percent as of last check here Saturday morning. They are down by 10 percent, but they're still down. Um, please, please, please do your civic duty, your participatory duty and and engage in electoral politics. Uh, we It is super, super important. Um, this election, there are so many things at stake, right, especially here in this county. If Tim O'Hare wins, we are going to have a different authoritarian, you could say fascist if you want, Tarrant County, that uh, is going to be way more extreme than the previous administration. Um, so if this is this is an, an important, important year. Please, please go vote. Early voting location. Oh, I guess not early. By the time you hear this, early voting will be over. So the last chance that you have is on Tuesday, November 8th. Polls will be open from 7 to 7. I will provide, again, our spreadsheet for the candidates down below and uh, information on the voting locations. Um, thank you again. And we'll be back next week. I'll be back with Thomas. And we are going to break down the election the results and see how it went and and talk about what the, what that means for all of us all right thanks love you all very much love and solidarity to each and every one of you and have a great day